She miraculously survived a shark attack, and now, some years later, her story inspires people around the world. She's Mickey Glenn. I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Mickey Glenn, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I appreciated it immensely. What a story, surviving a shark attack. So much we'll want to dig into and ask you about, and there are layers upon layers in this. But let's talk about you first. Where are you from? Where did life begin? And what did that look like when you were just a little thing? I grew up in southern Mississippi in a little community that was like Mayberry RFD. Okay, yeah. I had a very idyllic childhood um, where in the community everyone knew everybody. It was like everybody was family. And so it was rural. I had a pony. And so that's where I grew up. And what, where, when you were a little girl, if you looked forward, you, I mean, apart from maybe being a princess or something, but where did you see your life going? What was, what was the, the plan? I wanted to be a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Well, that didn't work out exactly, although you have horses today, so maybe right. it kind of worked out. It kind of worked out, yeah. yeah. You got into school. You were raised in a, a Christian family. I was. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. And where were you going? You were going to go to college one day, and then? I I didn't really have a plan. You didn't? Yeah, I wanted to go to college and then just kind of figure out what I wanted to do from there. And sure. so I started out in business here at what was then Southern Missionary College mm-hmm. and um, graduated with an associate's degree here. Yeah. And then the course of my life kind of changed, and I ended up going to um, radiology technology school. And how did you enjoy that? I did. Yeah? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It's been a great career. Yeah. Were you surprised to wind up working in, in medical or in, a, in a medical environment, or no? I was a little bit. Yeah? Yeah, because I didn't have much of a science background. I hadn't been exposed to it very much, and then when I was, I, I loved it. Uh-huh. I really loved it. Uh-huh. Growing up, what was your relationship with God like? I had a very close relationship with God when I was growing up. My parents and my grandparents were just really incredibly spiritual people, and especially my grandmother, Nana, she saw God in everything. Mm. She saw joy in everything, and everything from flowers to trees to bees, and she she turned my world into a wonderland, and she she was very much a Christian. She had a very close relationship with God, and most of my family did. And so when I was growing up, I had a very st- strong, strong faith. What a lovely thing to be able to say about a grandparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? I, look, I'm, sh- I'm sure we do know, but maybe some grandparents fail to recognize just what a great influence they can have in the lives of their grandchildren, just by, just by being who God made them to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, some years later, mm-hmm. your life took a dramatic and very nearly deadly turn. It did. You were diving in the Turks and Caicos Islands. So, before we get to that, how did you, I, I love to dive. How did you get interested in diving? Where did that begin? 
Well, my husband was a diver from back in the 70s, uh-huh. and when we were engaged, he decided to take me on a surprise honeymoon that was going to be a dive honeymoon, and so I needed to get certified. Yeah. And so I got my certification when we were dating, when we were engaged, and that's how I learned to dive, and I, and I just loved it. I mean, it's become something that is one of my favorite things to do. What do you like do. about diving? Just the tranquility and the beauty, and all you can hear is yourself breathing in and breathing out. It's just... It's just an incredible world down there, isn't it? Every hour that you're under the water is like you're in a magical place yes. that you that you can't even dream of, and there's no outside interruptions, there aren't any telephones, yeah. there aren't any airplanes in the air, That's cars, right. nothing that you can hear, and and just the beauty, and the more that you sink down on a reef and you and you look closer and you look closer there each little section of a reef is its own ecosystem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i just love getting lost in it so what what's a good dive for you you come in at the end of a day and you go, that was great because i mean you may say any dive but what's a really good dive a really good dive is when i get to a pet a, pet a turtle interesting <laughs> you should say thing. that i say i say almost <laughs> the same thing if i've seen a turtle it's a great dive. Yes. That's really all I want to do. Yes. Oh, no, not quite, but you understand what I mean. Exactly. That's a good dive. Oh, it's fun to hear you say that. Uh-huh. And you see the most fascinating things. We're out on a night dive once. There was a moray eel and, uh, I don't know, a, a pretty big fish. And they were hunting together, which oh. may or may not be so surprising, but it was surprising to me. The moray eel would go into a cave. It would, you know, devour something. And what it left behind, the fish would scoop up. And so oh. they were like a tag team. Hunting together at night. Oh. Isn't that fascinating? It is. At least it I is. think it's fascinating. I love night dives. Yeah. I do. How about diving on wrecks? Dived on many wrecks? I've dived on a few. Yeah? Yeah. Not, kind of not too many, just, you know, some around the Caymans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you dive, you love to dive. Uh, which is interesting you say that 21 years after you were attacked by a shark mm-hmm. while diving. So before I ask you specifically about that, how difficult is it for you to talk about this now? I'm going to ask you some questions. I don't want to tread on thin ice here. Is it it's okay? Well, to be honest, parts of my story still make me cry. So, yeah. <laughs> so if I start crying during the interview, I'm sorry. Uh, don't be. But um, I can imagine why we're talking about a time where you came within moments of losing your life, millimeters of losing your life. So what a story. So l- let's go back to that day. Okay. I know you're in the Turks and Caicos. Um, what were you doing? I had just finished my first morning dive of the day, and I was in my surface interval, and a couple of friends were in the water snorkeling. And so I had just stripped off my skin, and I decided to go back in the water and snorkel with them, and I didn't put a wetsuit or anything on, and so I was pretty unprotected. And so I went back into the water just to observe... We were on a trip to to observe and photograph sharks. This trip was a shark ex, shark expedition, shark right. diving expedition, and so we had been diving with sharks for probably four or five days by then. And when you say diving with sharks, you mean not a shark feeding thing, not where they were doing anything to attract the sharks, but we expected to see sharks on the reef and, and up close. Up close, yeah. they would. You know, they were just cruising the reef, and we would usually dive in about 50 feet of water. What type of sharks? Um, just reef sharks. Yeah, I've, I've dived near 
uh-huh. black-tipped reef sharks. And I don't know how, how safe or unsafe those critters are, but I remember thinking, I hope they've been well-fed. <laughs> and uh, they were just zooming by, minding their own business. And we were, this was in Palau, we were kind of anchored because the, the, the current was s- strong. So it's the sort of thing people do all the time, right? Observe sharks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that yeah. was the, the nature of the trip you were on? Yeah. Okay, okay. It was it specialized in photography, so there's a professional photographer on board, and my awesome. husband is a amateur underwater photographer, and so quite a few of the people on the boat were learning from the photography expert, yep. and expected to photograph sharks and other sea life and that while we were down there. So, so what ha- you ref- you refer to it as what an accident, an incident? How do you refer to it? An accident. An accident. Really. Okay. So, when the accident occurred, you were snorkeling. I was snorkeling. I was on the surface, and I just had on mass fin and snorkels in my swimsuit. And there were two other people from our trip that were in the water snorkeling in between dives. And my husband was still on scuba gear, and he was photographing sharks. So he was in the water. He was in the water, and several other people, I think, were still diving. Some people had finished their dives like we had. And we observed a big female that was about seven feet long that we hadn't seen on other dives. And um, she came right towards my husband, and he had his camera and his housing and everything, and she came towards him and was a little too assertive or aggressive, I guess, or something. And she actually, he reached out a little with his camera housing and bumped her in the nose, and he got a picture of her face right up close when she bumped him. And when that happened, she turned towards me, and I was, you know, 30, 40 feet away from him on the surface, and he turned and kept photographing her as, as she headed my direction. And so he was taking pictures, and I was just hanging in the water, just watching the sharks. And she looked like she was going to go underneath my fins. And when she got about to just where she was about to pass underneath my fins, she just stopped. And she turned vertical in the water, and she just very slowly started to slide up my body. You were aware of this? Oh, yes. And she made contact with me at about knee level, and I was between her right pectoral and her dorsal fin, and she slid very slowly up my body and stopped right about eye level, and we stared into each other's eye for a long moment. And should that have concerned you? It did. Should it have? It should have. And it did? Yes. Okay, so you thought this is unusual she, she was very gentle and so you know you hear of bumping bites and you hear of different things like that that happened she was very gentle and so it was more an alarm that it was abnormal behavior but she didn't act aggressive towards me and so what were you thinking you should do at that moment well what we were told to do back then was to just hang still in the water if we were approached by a shark and not to thrash not to hit them or, you know, knee them or anything like that. Yeah. Now I think they're telling people to be more aggressive, you know, punch them in the nose or oh, interesting. Yeah. something like that. So I just hung still in the water, and she just flicked her tail, and she took off to my, to my right, and I started to exhale. And 
before I could get all of my breath out, I was thinking like while she was while she was coming up my body and when I was looking into her eye and everything, I thought it was just the most beautiful eye I had ever seen. I mean, she was gentle, she wasn't aggressive, and I was frightened. I mean, the hair on the back of my neck was standing up, but as I looked into her eye, it was just, it was green with and gray with flecks of gold. She had a beautiful eye, and where the gray met the white from her underbelly and everything was just perfect, just pristine and clean and white and gray. And so I, the encounter was exciting. I was yeah. probably more excited at that point than I was afraid. I felt like she had just singled me out to come kind of almost to say hello, I yeah, guess. Yeah, you were the and lucky one. I was the lucky one. Yeah. And so she flicked her tail and she took off and I started to exhale. I didn't realize that I had been holding my breath the whole time. Uh-huh. And so I just, and before I could get my breath out, she hit me. Just, I didn't feel it coming or anything. There was just like a a wall of water, a pressure that I felt hit me. And then she grabbed me in a vice grip. And it was, it was so violent. And there was so much pressure that I couldn't move an inch. I mean, she had my whole upper body in her mouth. And then she started just, thrashing powerfully back and forth so hard that I got whiplash and the front of my mask would hit the water and the back of my head would hit the water and she was just thrashing back and forth. So you were on top of the water at this time? I was on top of the water and... And she had you between her jaws? She did. Yeah. And thoughts just raced through my mind. I was afraid that she was going to drag me under the water and I was going to drown and... I was just really incredulous because even while she was attacking me, I was thinking, I'm being attacked by a shark. I mean, a a shark is attacking me, and I couldn't believe that it was happening even as as it was. And then all of a sudden, just as quickly as she'd come, she, she let go, and I watched her trail off towards the boat, and I could see part of my flesh from my arm hanging out of her mouth as she as she left, as she went. And then I just, for a moment, I didn't really know what to do. I looked at my shoulder, and it was just ragged flesh is all I could see. And so I thought the water was already so full of blood, bright red blood, and I knew that she had severed an artery. And as I looked, I couldn't see my arm at all, and so I thought that she had taken my arm from the shoulder. And all I could think about was that, you know, this is a mortal wound. I saw the blood in the water, and I just wanted to die on the boat. And so I started to just grab with my left hand, with my good hand, just as hard as I could, and I started pumping my legs and just trying to get to the boat, which was probably 40 or 50 feet away. Did you make it? And I made it. um, One of my friends who was in the water snorkeling, she owned the dive shop. And so she was, she's a a spear fisherman, really powerful legs, and she swam up into the bloodbath and grabbed me around the waist and helped propel me back to the boat. And so I got to the ladder, and there was a vertical ladder that I had to climb. With one arm. With one arm. And I started to climb, and I was thinking very clearly when I got to the top of the ladder, I saw that there was a, a dive platform that was too small for anybody to help me if I laid down there. 
And so there's another vertical ladder up to the next deck. And so I started climbing that ladder so that at least I could get into a place where people could help me. And as I climbed the ladder, my brain was trying to send signals to my arm. And so it would just fire a signal, and I had a little bit of bicep muscle left. And so my arm just started slapping me as I was climbing this ladder in the in the face and the head like that. Wow. And blood was still, the fountain was still coming out. And so I was just trying to get to the top of this ladder. And when I when I reached the top, I made the mistake of looking back at the water, and it looked like the whole ocean behind the boat was just bright red with blood. How much blood did you lose? I lost um, over half of my blood. And for an adult, a lot of times that's fatal. I was going to ask, how, how common is it to survive losing that much blood? Uncommon. Not, not very common because you don't have enough blood pressure to get to your organs and your brain and everything. And so people, even if they survive, they end up dying you know, a few days later of yeah. organ failure. You know, one thing that you've not said, you've not mentioned pain. To this point, there was pressure, but I hadn't felt pain yet. And is that is that normal, that someone could go through that kind of trauma and not uh, uh, maybe there are some reasons that you wouldn't? Is, is it? Do you know if that's from, normal from not to From what I understand, pain? that is common. When you go through a really traumatic injury that your your brain hasn't processed it yet, maybe. Okay. And, and so I didn't feel any pain to this point. Okay. Um, while I was still in the water, um, I, I think I was so busy just thinking about how to sur- how to get to the boat. I didn't want to die in the water, and I thought about the four other sharks that were in the water, and I was afraid that they would go into a feeding frenzy because of all the blood, yeah. and that they would tear me apart limb from limb. And so I had so many things on my mind, and I don't remember feeling any pain, you know, during that time. You're in survival mode, right? But but. To get inside your mind for a moment and listen to what you're saying now, your intent, your desire was to die. What I mean is you're getting onto the boat to find a place where you can die. Is, mm-hmm. is that what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. You weren't thinking, I'm going to get up there and survive. No, I didn't think that I could survive after I lost that much blood. Right, right understandably. So that's, that's And even while are. the attack was happening, I mean... It ran through my mind that this was a mortal wound. This sure. wasn't something that I was going to survive because it was just horrific. I mean, I knew it was really bad. Yeah. And so now, moments later, you're just looking for a place that you can lay down and, and say goodbye to the world. Well, I, I wanted people to be able to help me. Yeah. Um, sure. My my husband, we had a vascular surgeon on board. We had an ICU nurse on board. My husband's an orthopedic trauma surgeon, and so there were plenty of people to help me, but I just thought that I had probably lost enough blood that they couldn't help me, but I wanted to, of course, every chance that I had. Okay. And so I laid down in the middle of the deck where people could get to me, and I started screaming for my husband, and I could hear him dropping his gear on the platform below. I want to ask you about that, because while this unbelievable attack is taking place, your husband is taking photographs. She's Mickey Glenn. I'm John Bradshaw. I'm so glad you're here. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment, brought to you by It Is Written.
If you enjoy coloring, then you are going to love the Buried Treasure Coloring Book from My Place with Jesus. The Buried Treasure Coloring Book has more than just pictures to color. You'll also enjoy activity pages, each accompanied by their very own audio story. Mr. Dixon came across a small, well-weeded rice patch out in the middle of a field. Get ahead of a rainy day or a relaxing evening as a family and order the Buried Treasure Coloring Book from It Is Written. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My very special guest is Mickey Glenn. Mickey, a moment ago, you, well, you had survived a shark attack, but you didn't know that. You were thinking, I'm going to die. Let me die here on the boat. And I wanted to ask you who was on the boat with you, but you said your husband was there. He's an orthopedic trauma surgeon. There was a vascular surgeon there. Who, who, who else did we have? An ICU nurse. An ICU nurse. I mean, if this was ever going to happen, it kind of happened. the best situation. Best situation. But before we talk about what happened there, take me back to your husband's vantage point. He was taking pictures of you while this attack occurred. He was. He witnessed his wife being attacked by a shark. What, if, if he was sitting here, what would he say was going through his mind at that time? I can hardly imagine. You know, he's never told me. He doesn't talk about it. Which is not which is not surprising. So what do you imagine? Someone seeing their spouse, their wife. I can't even imagine. That would be difficult, I, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. He he was taking pictures as the shark approached me, and then he took pictures as she was sliding up my body. In his last image, she has me in her mouth. And... Of course, that's when he realized what was happening, and he dropped the camera. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was around his neck. And then he was just trying to get to the boat after that. Have you seen those pictures? I have. How difficult was it for you to look at those pictures the first time? It was hard. The first time I looked at them was two years after it happened, yeah. and I was going to give a talk to um, the special ops guys at Hurlburt. And I had planned my talk and everything, and my husband just said, you know, I have pictures of your injuries, and would you like to see them? Would you like to use them in your presentation? And this was the night before my presentation, and I said, yeah, absolutely. So he brought them out, and there were probably 15 or 20 pictures of the injury and of different surgeries that I was going through and everything, and it was the first time that I had seen them. And so... How do you react? I, I pretty good, I think. I yeah. mean, I looked at them and organized them and put them into a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> and used them in my talk the next day. Really? So, yeah. you were face to face with a very pretty girl, that seven foot long shark. She right. Was, she was beautiful. Right. She had this beautiful eye. Now or then, I'm sure now is a little different than then. When you look at the pictures of her, what do you think of her? I, you know, I still think she's beautiful. I mean, I, mean, I have a picture of her, of the shark that attacked, attacked me is, yeah. is on the wall in our house. Really? She, the sh- I mean, she's the, the still beautiful. The shark that attacked you, her picture is on the wall. The picture that my husband snapped yeah. just as she, just before she bumped his camera. 
Why, why? Is a beautiful picture. Why? Because it's a beautiful picture, or is there another reason you have that on your wall? I think since I survived. Yeah. I th- obviously, my husband would probably feel differently if I hadn't survived. Sure. But it's, I don't know. I is, don't it, know is, it a, is it a memento of your triumph? I've never thought of it that way, but, you know, maybe. I just wonder if that, if that picture, when you see it, you think, you didn't get me. You tried to, but you failed. I wonder. I just wonder if any of that. I, don't, I wonder how closely you've analyzed that. I haven't. No. No. I mean, you don't hate her. Oh no. But you. But you could. No. At first, at first when I was in the hospital, I thought, you know, I hope she got sick. I hope she threw it up. <laughs> and then I started thinking, no, nah, I wouldn't want to suffer all of this, and then, and then have. Somebody not and have her throw it up. I mean, that would really be a waste. That'd be a waste, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you don't harbor any ill feeling. I don't towards the animal. I don't. No, I mean, you know, a, a dog attacks a child. Different, different. Different. They, they put the dog down. You know, a, a, a bear kills a person in the woods. They kill the bear more often than not. You didn't. You didn't think this animal needs to be eliminated. No. That's really interesting. So let's get back to the boat. You got to the boat. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, no one needed to be told what had happened. And what, what, what do you do when someone who's basically lost an arm climbs on the boat and is moments from death? Oh, and let me ask you one other thing before you answer that. Your arm was, was terribly, terribly injured. Did you suffer any other injuries? Just your arm? Uh, Just my arm. Okay. I lost, um, all of my triceps muscle, and so the whole back of my arm was just stripped, and I lost most of my biceps muscle, and her teeth stripped all of the flesh from my spine across, and she took all of the posterior half of my armpit, and so the, the back half of my armpit was gone, and she sliced my breast, and um, so it was a 15 and a half inch bite radius. Wow. That she had. So it wasn't just your arm. She got your back and all. Front. She got all three nerves, my brachial artery. Wow. And so she just ripped a whole bunch of important things off of my arm. Do we know why sharks do what she did? I've thought about it afterwards, and I think the reason, I think it really was a bump and bite, but it was a gentle bump. It wasn't like she bumped into me and bit me. It was a gentle bump. She was investigating whether I was a food source uh, and then she turned around and attacked me I, that's what I think yeah okay okay so we're back on the boat and those with you including your husband did what so I started screaming for my husband and I heard his tank drop on the deck below and then he was by my side very quickly and he just slid to his knees and the first thing he did before he did anything else was he just shoved his hand inside the wound and he clamped my artery with his fingers. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, if, if, if it had been a husband like me, <laughs> he would have known absolutely nothing about what to do. But your husband knew precisely what to do. He clamped my artery and the vascular surgeon went and got his emergency kit, which had um, hemostats. And he reached a hemostat up in there and clamped the artery above Mike's fingers. And Mike could tell that blood was still gushing out. And so there was another nick to the artery above where he had clamped. And so he had to dig further up inside the wound. 
and clamped the artery again with his fingers, and then Randy had to reach the hemostats above that point. Now, the pain hit the first time that Mike shoved his hand up inside the wound. You wanted to ask you about and that. And I started screaming. You felt that. It, oh, it was the worst pain. Describe that pain. I can, because, you know, if you told me that you, you, got, you got a paper cut or a dog bit you, I can relate to that. Everybody can. But this is something this is the essentially kind of, nobody can. This is the kind of pain that just you, I could never imagine in my head. I mean, it's visceral. You want to throw up. I wanted to throw up. I wanted to pass out. I just wanted to escape it, and I was just I was screaming so loud that I couldn't even hear myself scream. Mm. I mean, I knew I was screaming, but I couldn't hear myself screaming. That's how bad it hurt. Your husband saved your life. He did. He did. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a, it's just an interesting thing to be living right alongside the man, or or if the tables were turned, the woman, who literally saved your life. Right. What it an is. interesting thing. Uh, uh, there are so many stories happening here. What did, th- what if anything, did that do, to your relationship with your husband? I mean, it's one thing to know a man loves you and he was so nice as to buy you flowers and remember your anniversary. He saved your life. Right. What what did what did that do for your love for him or your relationship? Did did it do anything at all, or is that just well, what you do? I I knew I loved my husband before this happened. Yeah. But when I really knew I loved him, I mean, obviously there was just a gush of emotions when he saved my life when I didn't think that my life could be saved. Yeah. And of course it was a miracle. I mean, God had a big hand in yes. every little step of the way. But I knew how much I loved my husband when I was laying there after he had clamped my artery and after they had packed my arm and everything and I was emotions were just rolling through me like waves and I was thinking I was genuinely thought I'm so glad it happened to me and not to him oh really and I thought that over and over and that's that's when you really know how much you love somebody is when you genuinely would rather have something like that happen to you than why 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 did you why were you glad it didn't happen to him, but but if anyone, it was you? Why? Because I just, I realized I loved him that much. I really would rather it happen to me than him. So. What a powerful thing. Yeah. So he <laughs> he reaches into your arm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, honey. <laughs> this is going to hurt. And he causes you that great pain. You have three arteries clamped now. Is it Three. No, just the brachial artery. Oh, the three the one. nerves, the sharp oh, gut, and then yeah, the brachial yeah. artery. Three nerves, uh-huh. one artery. That artery is well and truly clamped now. Uh-huh. So what do I do with you now? You've, you've, your back's been ripped open. Your arm's been torn off. I've clamped your artery. Great. But what do we do they with you now? dressed everything, yep. wrapped it up tight, and then started trying to get me back to the States, back to Miami. And that, was, that ended up being a seven-and-a-half-hour journey by... We were on French Key, which is very remote, yeah. and that ended up being a seven-and-a-half-hour journey by dinghy, police boat, helicopter, ambulance, Coast Guard jet. So it was a long day. A long and exciting day. Uh-huh. So, so from Turks and Caicos, by a variety of means, get you to Miami. What are you experiencing during this? What's happening in your own mind? Well, while they were trying to arrange transportation... Um, there was a time when I was laying on the back of the boat when I really did not think that I was going to live, even after he clamped my artery and after the bleeding had stopped. And what I think is that I 
had lost enough blood and maybe was trying to go into shock or something. My feet had been raised up, and um, I started to get tunnel vision where all I could see was the sky above me. Mm. And I thought that I was going to die. And to me, it seemed like a... uh, People were all around me. Um, My friend Nancy was holding my head in her hands. She was kissing my forehead. People had their hands all over me. But I felt like I was about to pass through a portal. Mm. And it was just, I was terrified all of a sudden to die. And I realized that nobody could go through it with me. I felt like my life was fading and I couldn't take anybody with me. And they were holding on to my body. But I was about to slide away from them. And it was terrifying. Just all of a sudden, I, I thought that I believed... I thought I had just an unshakable faith that there was a heaven and there was life after death. But when it was really happening to me, I lost that confidence. And I was just afraid that that would be all that there was, that I just would cease to exist. When you were looking through the tunnel, you know, this tunnel vision, what were your fears? Were you fearing leaving people behind? Yeah, I was. I, I feared that I was about to go through it and nobody else was. I was going to be by myself. And what happened after that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it did, really did feel like a portal and it really did feel like I was leaving my body, yeah. like I was going to leave my body and travel somewhere alone where even though people were touching me and holding me and trying to keep me there that they couldn't come with me and it was scary it was terrifying how close to death were you well i think i was pretty close to death at medical i think there was a point where i could have chosen to relax and i think i would have died but it scared me so badly when i was looking through that portal and thinking about going through it alone i think that it scared me so badly that i i started to fight hard to stay conscious. Because medical people tell you that people just let go and go. Right. And and grandma, knowing that her favorite son is going to arrive in 12 hours, fights to stay alive. Right. Until she hears his voice and then gives herself permission to go. So that's a real thing, isn't it? I think it is. And I, I think since I'd lost so much blood, if I had really relaxed and let myself go, my blood vessels would have dilated, my organs wouldn't have been perfused. I mean, that's what I think would have happened. I think I would have died. Were you conscious at the time that you were fighting to stay alive? Yeah, I never lost consciousness. Throughout this whole thing? Mm Mm-mm. Shark attack, lost 50% of your blood, go through incredible trauma. Were you afraid? I was afraid to die. Yeah. And you never lost consciousness? Mm Mm-mm. Whole time? Mm Mm-mm. Why not? I don't know. You, be, because you, you willed yourself to remain conscious? I did. Yeah. I mean, I think that has something to do with it. On the Coast Guard jet from um, Providencialis to Miami, my husband couldn't get a pulse and he couldn't get blood pressure. Oh, really? And I felt very close to death on the plane, too. And he's going through it and your friends are anguished and so on. Right. So you were, you were conscious the entire flight to Miami. Mm-hmm. You arrived in Miami. You were aware. 
thinking back, how, no one can remember every moment of a, of, a, of a Coast Guard flight, but what do you remember about it? I remember it wasn't a medical plane. It was like a cargo uh-huh. jet, I think. And I remember my stretcher was, I think, on like rucksacks and things like that. And um, they made my husband go strap in when they took off. And I wasn't strapped in, and I was thinking, <laughs> what's going to happen to me? Because I was on a backboard, you know, laid on the rucksacks or whatever. And yeah, mercy, you could have ended up anywhere in that plane. <laughs> oh, man. But the Coast Guard jet was great because they could fly low. And, you know, after you've been d- doing repetitive deep dives, right. that you can't fly commercial. That's right, that's right. So they were able to stay low enough that I could fly. Whew, good thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. How long is that flight? Two and a half, three, know. two and a half, three, something Probably like that. Probably something like yeah, that. Yeah. So, so you landed in my. Now, you are aware in your mind, I've been through this attack, I've almost died. Now, now, as you're approaching Miami, are you aware, were you aware at that time, I've come close to death along the way? I could have checked out. W- were you having those thoughts? Yeah. Could, okay, so you're like, I'm fighting to stay in this. I, and I, I was starting to feel hope. Now, this is what I want to ask I you. I was to feel hope. You're getting towards Miami. And you knew you were going to get to, to a, a medical center. Tell me about what's going on. You're thinking, if only I can get to Miami, i got to hang on to get to that hospital. Explain What that. I was expecting is I just wanted to hang on long enough for them to put me under anesthesia. Okay. And I thought, you know, once they put me under anesthesia, uh, they can work on me. They can take care of me. But I just wanted to get to that point where, where I would be in their hands. And, and then I had hope that I could live, because that I was unti- going to live. Because until this... Even though you'd had these medical professionals with you, 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 you weren't under medical care. Right. You weren't in a hospital with, with all of the instruments and, and tools of the medical trade to save or prolong your life. Right. So you're just hanging in there. Mm-hmm. And very clearly, very clearly she hung in there long enough. This story is not over. I want to hear more about it. We'll be back in just a moment with Mickey Glenn. I'm John Bradshaw. This is Conversations, brought to you by It Is Written. Miracles, events that can only be explained as the actions of an all-powerful God. If you look at the Bible, you'll find it's full of miracles. Parting the Red Sea, healing the blind, walking on water, raising the dead. Many have claimed these events never happened. But did they? Is it important for Christians to believe in miracles? And do they still happen today? Join me for Do You Believe in Miracles? We'll meet some remarkable people and hear some incredible stories. We'll learn what miracles are and what they're not. And we'll discuss the greatest miracle of all time. One that has significance for every human being on earth and the potential to change your life entirely. Do you believe in miracles? Brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Mickey Glenn, who by now has arrived in Miami after a, a life flight following your Terrible encounter with a reef shark. Mm-hmm. Now, you never lost consciousness this entire time. 
You've been very aware of your mortality and the closeness you've come to death. Uh, and there have been moments that you were expecting to die. Yes. But as Miami got closer, hope became more real. It did. When did you feel, okay, I'm going to be fine now? When did that time come? <sighs> there was a moment back on the boat where I wanted to ask my husband if he thought that I was going to die. But I know Mike, and I know that his face, it would have, for a moment, it would have shown all over his face if he did think I was going to die. And so I laid there and I was like, I want to ask him, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, am I going to live? Why don't you ask him, am I going to live? And so he said, I think you're going to live, but I think that you're going to lose your arm. And so I had hope from that moment okay. Okay, great. that I was going to live. The idea that you might lose your arm, how did that leave you? I didn't even care. You I didn't. just wanted to live. Right, right. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, I, I, I have this interesting feeling now when people say they went through a medical thing and lost their toe or they lost their whatever. They had chemo and they lost their hair. You know, fine. You gained your life. It's okay in the big picture, right. you know. But maybe that's just me. But you, so you were yeah. okay with the idea of losing your arm if you kept your life, if you retained your life. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to live. And so we landed on the roof in Miami, and the, the team was waiting for us on the roof. Yeah. And they wheeled us into the pre-op area. And my husband was trying to explain to them that my hand had been viable up until just a few hours earlier. Mm. And then it had developed compartment syndrome where you get swelling and... I wasn't getting any blood flow to it, but it had been viable up to that point. And so he was trying to explain that to the surgeon who was going to be taking me in, who was trying to get me to sign to have my arm removed at the shoulder. Okay. And the surgeon disagreed with him, and Mike was trying to explain to him, and they ended up in a shouting match over my stretcher. And Mike got right up in his face shouting at him, and he said, I think I can save her arm, and if you're not willing to try, then give me temporary privileges, and I'll do it myself. Oh, wow. How about that? Or get someone who will. Wow, fantastic. And so I'm laying on the stretcher, and all I want is to go under anesthesia, and my surgeon just ripped off his gown and went stomping out. You're kidding. And so I'm thinking, you know, he's chased my... The surgeon just walked out on Uh you. Just ripped off his gown and went storming out oh it's one of the greatest things i've ever heard and so in just a few minutes a woman walked in um elizabeth willette and she also she was a hand surgeon and upper extremity and she came in and listened to what mike had to say and she said you know well i agree with you i think i can save her arm isn't that something and so mike then was I mean, without Mike, I would have lost my arm. His plan was to disarticulate at the shoulder. Saved your life, saved your arm. Uh Uh-huh. Wow, what a guy. So went into surgery for, I think, six or seven hours that night, and she saved my arm. Fantastic. And And, and tell me when that that emotion washed over you when you said to yourself, I'm going to live. Not not out of bloody-mindedness, not out of determination, but out of assurance. When did that when did that come? About two days later. Oh, oh really? Um, yeah, because when you lose a lot of blood like that, sure. sometimes it takes a couple of days for your organs to fail. Sometimes you can get an infection. You knew too much. And different things like you, that. And you so knew I wasn't too much. I knew I wasn't out of the woods for a oh. couple of days. And then what was it and, like when you came when you woke up and you said, I'm here to stay? 
it was a great feeling. It was, I didn't develop any infections. I didn't, I didn't have any, any problems. I had 14 units of blood and I had six surgeries while I was in Miami. Wow. And, and your recovery process? It was long. It was slow. I had a lot of flashbacks when I was awake and I had nightmares at night. You did. Of course, I had this big gaping wound and that had to be dressed, you know, every other day, even after we got home and debrided all the dead tissue taken off of it. Who was doing that? My husband. Yeah. Okay. And so I was able to leave the hospital because he was able to do those things. Mm. And so when you say leave the hospital, you mean leave the hospital in Miami or leave a hospital closer to home? Leave the hospital in Miami. I went straight home from there. How many days Um, in the hospital? 12 days in the hospital. And then I came home the day before Thanksgiving, and then I went back to work on Monday. (laughs) You were back to work basically two weeks after this accident. Mm -hmm. What in the world were you thinking? I didn't want to lay in bed and just be assaulted with these flashbacks. You know, I had to keep busy. So part of that was proactivity. Mm-hmm. Lean, lean into it. Deal with it that right. way. Right, because when, I, when my mind was, would wander, um, I would go right back, and the flashbacks, I yep. was right back where the shark was attacking me. Well, that's interesting. How, how long before that stopped? A year and a half, maybe. Oh, really? Something like that. They became less frequent, Yeah. but um, probably, probably about a year and a half. So did the we, flashbacks were lasted. you working with psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and so forth? Uh, no, I never went to a psychologist or psychiatrist. I just went back to work. <laughs> you just went back to work. Wow. Now today, like when did you have your last awful flashback? Um, my last one was actually at a pizza place. Of all places. I was at Mellow Mushroom Pizza in Destin, and I was just sitting there waiting for a to-go order, and all of a sudden, I woke up, curled up in a ball in the back floorboard of my truck, just sobbing and didn't know how I had gotten there. Oh, well. And that, that was the last flashback that I ever had. How long ago? It was 19 years ago. Oh, you, oh. Yeah. So this happened 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you haven't had flashbacks like that for 19 years. Mm-hmm. I think it's your brain's way of trying to cope with what happened, sure. trying to, you know, trying to desensitize. You mean the flashbacks are? The flashbacks, I think. Yeah, but I, honestly, I heard you talking about being at the pizza place, and I thought, oh, she's going to tell me this was three months ago. <laughs> no. No, it was 19 years ago. When you, th- when you think about what happened to you, I mean, what's that like to, 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 to to intentionally go back there and see the shark's face and relive. Talking about it now, how how does that affect you? Well, all in all, it's been a positive experience. I mean, I learned things out of this that I couldn't have learned otherwise. I learned the power of positivity. Yeah. Because you make a choice every moment of every day. You make a choice to smile. Yep. You make a choice to be happy. And... That's powerful. Yes. It's really powerful. And I, I learned that at a visceral level where when I wanted to just sink into despair and feel sorry for myself, and a couple of times I did, but if you choose to smile, even you just choose to put the smile on your face, even if you don't feel like it, yeah. you know, you just smile, the feelings follow. 
And so if you choose to be positive, it's, it's very powerful, and I wouldn't have learned that. And I also learned uh, that it doesn't matter how maimed you are on the outside, uh, who you are is who you are on the inside. Yep. And so there are lessons that people talk about that you don't learn unless you go through something like, like this. Have you been able to come alongside other people who've been through traumas and, and be a support for them? I have. That's yeah. kind of rewarding, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. It's very rewarding. You, 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 used a phrase, you used a phrase, how maimed you are on the outside. H- how are you on the outside? What do you live with today as a result of this? Oh, I, um, I have skin grafts and, uh, from my shoulder to my elbow and kind of a big defect on my back. That, uh-huh. And your you know, arm, has healed. Your, your right arm. And um, I can do this. I can... I can bend my arm because right. of a nerve graft yep. that worked. Uh, I don't have any individual finger movement, and so my hand is effectively paralyzed. Okay, but I can, you know, I have horses, so I can carry water buckets all and right, feed right. buckets, and yeah. you know, I can do things with that hand, even ha- though I can't use my fingers. Has it held you back? No, not at all. Really? No. I mean. At first, it was hard because I had to learn to do every little thing. I mean, putting my hair in a ponytail and brushing my teeth because I was right-handed, and so it's like Brownian movement, you know, your yeah. whole arm moves. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just every little daily chore, those were the hardest things. How long did it take to you to learn. rewire for that? A couple of years. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you were surprisingly afraid to die. I'm, su- I'm, I'm not surprising you to me, but you, you were surprised that you were that you were afraid to die. Are you are you still afraid to die? No, I'm not afraid to die anymore. What, um, what changed? About four years ago, my husband had throat cancer, uh, tonsil cancer, and we spent ten weeks at MD Anderson, and he had two rounds of chemo and radiation therapy, proton therapy. And he was greatly damaged. I mean, his throat, his face, he was he would run 106 degree temperatures. He would go into just, I mean, he, he, I, he just looked like he was going to die. Yep. And I didn't know whether he would live or not. And I really got on my knees, and I felt like God couldn't hear me. And I, I'd pray, and I asked everybody else to pray, and I was glad that their prayers were reaching God, but I felt like mine were just stopping at the ceiling. Why did you feel that way? I don't know. And one day, finally, I was just crying, and I was we had kind of a two, two-room hotel suite. Yep, sure. And I was on my knees, and when I was in college here, I really liked a song by Keith Green, My Eyes Are Dry. And I just started singing that very quietly to God. And all of a sudden, I felt his presence. And as I sang that song to him, and through the past two or three years, I've realized that the only way that you can really have that peace and the only way you can really know that there's life after death and that it's not just nothingness is you have to put the time in to have a relationship with God. So I try, I fail, but I try every day to read part of his word and to study his word. I mean, he left us the Bible. Yes. And the more that I've tried to do that and I've tried to focus on Christ 
and to make Him an every day, every minute part of my life. And I'm not afraid to die anymore. So It's really interesting how you can go through the kind of experience you would never wish on somebody else, never wish for yourself, and see how God blesses through that experience. Right. In lots of ways. Isn't that a fascinating thing? It is. You, 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 four minutes ago, you just said, overall, this was a positive experience. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. Overall, and I know what you mean. Right. And I know what you mean. It's, a, it's not something that I would change. No, right. Isn't that something? Like, it was one of the most pivotal experiences of my life. You found it to be enriching. It was. Uh-huh. Why do people dive with sharks? <laughs> I ask that in behalf of the gazillions of people who have been thinking this question for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. Some of us are adrenaline junkies. I mean, and I kind of always have been, and just the excitement, just the excitement of diving with an apex predator. Is it dangerous to dive with sharks? I don't know. Um, I mean, I've, I've dived in close proximity with sharks since this happened. And I don't feel like I'm going to be attacked. I mean, I think it was just one of those things that happened. Do you still dive today? Mm -hmm. And you still dive with sharks today? Well, not on purpose. I mean, but I'm not frightened if I see one. Come on, Mickey. A shark shark got to within a millimeter or a nanosecond of extinguishing your existence. And you'll be under the water where I I don't know of a more vulnerable place. And you'll go, oh, a shark. And you're okay with that? I am. The first time I saw a shark after this happened, I was diving Bloody Bay Wall on Little Cayman. And I was down about probably 70, 80 feet on the wall, just doing my parallel, just, you know, looking at the wall, looking at the turtles and the creatures. And I just happened to look out to the deep, and there was a shark keeping pace with me right out there to the side. Come on. Part of you thought, oh, no. No. You heard that music from Jaws, um, <laughs> and you thought, I, I, what did I do this for? Nope, I felt like she was my sentinel. You're I just felt, me. I felt completely at peace. Wow. That first dive back in the water, how long after the attack was that? Two years. Two years later. Now, that was hard. Y- yeah, I want to ask that. You about was that was hard. I two loved- years later, you squeeze into a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. I... I wanted to try to dive again. I didn't know if I could or not. I was very afraid of diving. Okay. And I had a lot of fears after this happened. And I went to Dominica with my friend Nancy, who owned the dive shop. Yeah. And the first day, she just sat on the edge of the water with me, and I put my face in the water. And that's all I would do. And by the second day, um, we were shore diving, just, you know, shallow. And the third day, we went out on a boat, and I... I threw up my breakfast, and as I was all geared up and I was walking towards the back of the boat to take that giant stride, I was sobbing so hard into my mask that it filled up with snot. I mean, I was, yeah. so I was terrified, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to do it, and if I never want to do it again, that's okay. And I took a giant stride into the water and started to sink, and I was fine. I was fine after that. You did it because you had to, didn't you? Mm-hmm. What if you hadn't? 
What if 21 years later you'd never been back in the water? I would not respect myself. I would not have any respect for myself if I hadn't tried. Good for you. Now, I would have been fine if I had tried and failed, but yeah. I couldn't have respected myself if I hadn't tried at all. When you got back on the boat or after that first dive, how'd you feel? Triumphant. Yes. Yeah. And did you go back in the next day? I did. And so you were back. I spent two weeks diving. I did three or four dives a day for two weeks. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, it's a remarkable story, and and a large part of me is quite confident that we've really kind of just scratched the surface because there's so many layers to this. It's a dramatic story. It's a story of survival, the triumph of the human spirit. It's a story of the goodness of God. It is really a story of the goodness of God. Now, 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 let me ask you this, though. God could have prevented this, chose not to. We could be talking about how good God is because he kept you from the attack. But we're talking about how good God is because he kept you in it. Is that okay with you? That's fine with me. Yeah? You've seen God up close. He's brought you through great things. What has this done for your faith? Tremendous leaps and bounds. I have a relationship with God that I that is much more like what I had when I was a child. Mm. Uh, when are you going diving next? That's a good question. You got anything planned? <laughs> uh, I don't have anything planned yet, but I'm hoping in the next year or so okay, to take okay. the next dive trip. Yeah. Good for you. You're a remarkable human being. Thank, Thank you so you. much for spending this time. It has You're been welcome. wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, and God bless you. You too. And thank you. Uh, You've been blessed. I don't need to wonder. Of course you have. What a wonderful story. What a fantastic testimony. And isn't God good? She's Mickey Glenn. I'm John Bradshaw. And this has been our conversation. (music) 